Welcome. Today's date is September 26th, and we are reading from the Big Book of AA, pages 23, starting at, um, I'm sorry, where are we? I had it written. The Tragic Truth, and on to page 24, When This Foolish Thinking. Sharon will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Kadi. Sharon, will you please read? Hi, thank you. Sharon W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Los Angeles. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink or what's the use anyhow. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. Thank you, I'll pass. Thank you, Sharon. Next, we will have a 20 minute share on what was just read by Kadi. Kadi, would you like to share? Thank you, Karen. Uh, thank you, everyone. And thank you, Kim, for letting me the uh, opportunity to, to share today and to be of service. So yes, my name is Kadi. I'm dialing from Paris. I'm a compulsive eater, bulimic restrictor, compulsive exerciser. I think I haven't missed anything. Um, this reading was, um, yeah, right on the spot today. I see, every, I have highlighted so many things in pink, in yellow, in blue. So I guess I cannot count the number of time when I had to go through these pages to remember myself that yes, I'm not a normal person. And when I read this section this morning, um, as we know, each time we read the big book, there is something different that comes back to us, at least to me. And today it was control because control was the, yeah, the threading, um, the leading thread of my life, not only with my food, but actually with, uh, in all areas of my life. And if I try to remember 
yeah, the first encountering that I had with my weight and control, it was with my mom. I was seven years old and she put me on a scale and decided, I insist on decided that I had to lose weight. I had no idea what weight meant. Um, and then I looked at her and I asked, I said, how am I supposed to do this? And she told me, well, you need to learn how to control yourself. And I guess not that it would be the explanation of what will follow, um, but I guess that, yeah, that's the first encounter that I really had with control and weight. And of course, I mean, you know, without any surprise, that's where the whole yo-yo cycle starting when uh, started, when I started to put on weight, lose weight, put on weight, lose weight. And I'm suspecting actually that my mom had um, eating disorders. I never had a proper meal with her. And I remember her eating sour apple and piece of cheese. And that was basically part of her, of her diet. Um, so fast forward, I, um, I went to boarding school and that's where I learned um, how to eat, how to binge and how to, how to purge. So each time I say I, gradu I graduated with high honor in bulimia. And as the, the, the section is mentioned, you know, at a certain point in the drinking, um, he passes the state where yeah, the most powerful desire to stop drinking is gone. And I cannot, I don't know, when is it that I stopped using purging as a simple tool? And when is it that it started to be compulsory? I just couldn't stop. And yeah, and indeed it was uh, at the beginning, I started to do it for vanity. Let's call it as it should be called. And yeah, then came the time when I just couldn't stop. And indeed was, was following the, um, yeah, was following my, uh, my peers. Um, Another fast forward, I started to work. So I started to work in banking. I had an international career. So each time I would move to one country, each time I would say myself, yeah, this time, this time is the time. This time is the time when I'm going to be, to be normal, when I'm going to be able to eat. Actually, I didn't even ask, say myself, I'm going to be normal because I thought that I was normal. I just thought that the way that I was handling my food was a little bit different than others. Um, but indeed, I could see that I was trying to hide, you know, the chaos, the internal chaos with the external perfection, because again, I had been told that I had to, to stay in control. And, and the thing that I couldn't comprehend, though, is that my friends know me as, well, knew me as someone extremely disciplined, um, someone in control. Uh, but when it would come to food, I mean, of course, when I would be at home, then I wouldn't be able to control myself at all. Uh, and I tried, indeed, as it's described, I tried all kinds of things, um, as in buying, because I have, I, didn't, I know what my trigger food is. At the time, of course, those were not trigger food, but I had this kind of what I would call porn food. I mean, let's call it as it is. Um, and then I would eat this kind of food when no one would see them, and I tried to to buy them by the gram, by 10 grams. I tried to, to buy them once a week, once a month. I mean, nothing would work. Um, and as I mentioned, each time I would move to a different country, the things, that I, the things that I forgot is that my disease would be moving with me. So nothing would change. Uh, the first weeks would be okay. The first months would be maybe okay, but then eventually I would go back to, uh, and when I say the food is binging, but as well the behaviors around food, because I would get high in um, purging, but I would get high as well in not eating. I, when I would stop eating, I would, if I want to use the words of the program, I, read, I would really feel like I was my higher power. 
because I was empty. I felt that I didn't need anything. And I felt again that I was in control because I was controlling my food. Uh, but I came to realize that indeed it wasn't, it wasn't about the food. And uh, my last move uh, led me to um, Amsterdam, which is the, the last city that I, I, uh, I lived in before I came back to Paris. And I remember that I was supposed to, I was to start a new job on a Monday and I arrived on a Friday. And I didn't know anything about the city, but the places that I got to know very quickly were places where I could buy food. And I went in a food bender, bender for four days and I just could not stop. As again, it's mentioned in the, uh, in the in this section, I just could not stop. And on Monday, bloated, I could hardly fit into my suit. I said, well, maybe it's something that I need to do. And I came across, I came across OA. Um, I think that I, I looked over internet and I actually looked, I, I could, yeah, I looked for food addiction with food and uh, I came across OA. So I attended my first meeting and you know, that's the time when I'm supposed to say that I felt at home. I didn't feel at home at all. I felt that people were a bunch of cuckoos. Uh, I didn't have anything in common with them. And as I heard it before, I couldn't deal with the love. I couldn't deal with the hug. I couldn't deal with the God. And, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to do this OA diet for a few months, and then I'm going to be out of there. Um, I got a sponsor because again, you know, I like perfection. So I understood the rules. So I got a sponsor, but I remember as she was reading the, the big book, I, it had like this feel of Bible. I couldn't understand anything. Um, I couldn't understand any word and I eventually left. Uh, and the years which followed were not really what I would call relapse relapses because again the thing that was baffling is that they were they could be I could stay a few months a couple of months um clean and then I would I would dive again into food in the purging in the bulimia in the in the restricting in the compulsive exercise exercising and then I would be clean again and then I would again get back to the to the cycle um and uh, I have to say it's a blessing in disguise. I don't want to call it blessing, but the, the thing which brought me back to, to, to OA was actually COVID because that's where I was listening to a documentary on AA and they were explaining how AA managed to, you know, set up these, these Zoom meetings. And I, I wondered actually if the same existed for OA. I had not um, yeah, hit my rock button, but I could see what could happen because I would, I, I saw the cycle again of restricting and binging coming back. And I just didn't see how I could stop. And I've always been intrigued by the sentence, you know, putting his hand on the, the fact that the guy put his hand on this hot stove and doesn't, just doesn't stop. And for me, it's not only the fact that I realized that I was putting my hand um, on a hot stove, it's because I was getting something from it. My, my niece is five years old. I mean, if I tell her, don't touch this because it's gonna burn, she's not gonna do it because it's going to burn. But for me, I was getting something, yeah, in addition to just feeling the burn and what I was getting was the high. So that was the trade of, I was ready to burn my hand 
for the high that I would get from eating, purging, or stop eating, stop eating. Um, so going back to the second time when I joined OA, uh, the first share that I, uh, I gave, I heard myself saying, this time I'm going to be humble <laughs> because the first time I was so full of arrogance. So I'm going to give it another try and then let's see what happens. Um, so I attended my first meeting and I went uh, for a food vendor again. And uh, when I came back to the meeting, um, I was food drunk. I was literally food drunk. And again, how did this last, because it was the last actually, how did this last bender started? I don't know. I don't know. It just started. So was it a way for the disease to kind of like tap on my shoulder and remind me that it still was there and it wasn't ready to leave? Um, but I decided to give it a go and the decided was the willingness. And indeed, I found myself, I actually found myself a, a sponsor and I became an OA soldier. So I was going to hundreds of meetings. I was being of service everywhere. Um, I was following the, I mean, following, I was reading the, uh, the big book, like I would read a law book. And I, I literally started doing the program, like my hair was on fire, but maybe my hair was a little bit too much on fire. And um, once I completed 12 steps, um, I found myself, um, yeah, feeling a little bit frustrated because I was expecting so much from the program or I had my expectation of what the program should be. Um, and I actually started to feel resentful about the program, uh, but that's where the tools came, became handy. I use the 10 step. Each time I say the 10 step is here and it's play, it plays ping pong with uh, step six and seven. And then sometime the step four joins the party. And, um, and then, yeah, and it, it kind of reminded me that again, a big, big, big um, character defect that I have is uh, perfectionism like many of us. And the program doesn't have to be perfect. Because what does perfection means in this program? Um, if I do manage to stay one day um, abstinent, that's, that's what I came to realize. Well, that's already a success for me. And being of service indeed has helped, but I need to be very, very careful because I have the syndrome of the saver syndrome. And I need to, I need to make sure that I'm really helping people. Uh, and helping people doesn't mean that they need to feel like they need me. Helping people for me is I help them and I should not expect anything in return. And sometimes self-care is as well service. Um, sleep, for example, is a huge trigger for me when it comes to my food. Today I had a nap before this meeting. Um, and when I don't sleep properly, then I become a huge uh, foodzilla. That's how I call myself. So the program has helped me to be more aware. I heard this often, you know, the, and I promised myself that I wouldn't use too many always said sentences, by the way, uh, only those that are meaningful to me. Um, but the recovery is in the pose. And then I was like, what the hell does this mean? When I want, when I have this urge to binge, the last thing that I want to do is to pose. The last thing that I want to do is to talk to someone. 
And, but there's, I came to discover that there are so many ways to pose. And um, sometimes for me, this would be meditating. And by the way, this morning, my meditation was resentment with closed eyes. That's all I could do. Uh, but I had this pose. Some of the time, the pose are just sending a message to a fellow um, saying, well, you know, this is how I feel because I was unable to, to first identify how I felt before um, when, um, because of course I did all kinds of therapies, but when my therapists were asking me, how do you feel? Most of the time it was emptiness because I've never learned how to express my needs because the needs of others came very often as being more important than myself. Um, so yeah, so often the pose is sending a message to fellows and saying, well, this is, I'm struggling or this is how I feel. And I'm not expect, expecting any, uh, any call, but just want to, to, check, to check in and let you know. Um, sometimes the pose is writing. So doing my step, step, step 10, of course, doing my step 11 or just writing or doing a two-way prayer. A very dear fellow friend of mine actually reminding me this morning, she said, well, we used to do is two-way prayer. How are you doing with it? Um, so yeah, I'm gonna start my two-way prayer again. Um, and then sometimes the pose is just being present. And present doesn't mean sitting on a, on a mat with candle and incense. Sometimes it is, uh, but sometimes it's uh, just going to the park and uh, going for a walk. I just happen to be on crutches at the moment. So this one is a bit challenging, yeah. um, but it's being, I, I thought someone was uh, giving me a warning for the timing. Um, yeah, this is a five-minute warning. I don't know what that last was, but this is. Thanks, Kati. Thank you, Karen. Um, so yeah, being present. Uh, the pose is being present in various, various ways. And what I came to learn is that it's not because I completed my 12 steps that uh, my life is going to be perfect. Um, completing my, the 12 steps, at least for me, <laughs> was the beginning of everything because I have the tools and it just happens that today, the day where I'm supposed to do this share, I was extremely rebellious against the program. Um, so I was of service in a meeting this morning. It was a big book reading I shared. I sent messages to fellow things. So, you know, I just wanted to push the F it button today and I'm feeling very rebellious about the program. I spoke with fellows, I slept and as I was, and I, I was sharing with one of the fellows, I'm not surrendering today. And actually what does surrender means? Uh, surrender is supposed to be some, something unconscious. So how can I decide to surrender? It's not something that I decide, it's just happened. And um, as I woke up from my nap and I reflected, I actually realized that I surrendered. Even though I woke up this morning feeling extremely rebellious, I surrender. How did I surrender? Well, I surrender by going to a meeting. I think that going to a meeting is a form of surrendering. I surrender by, again, contacting fellows. I surrender by writing, because I was uh, looking at what I had written. And um, I surrender by, yeah, admitting that I do not have any control over my food but I do not have any control or power over the fact that I want to control my food. So for me, it goes, it goes in both ways. And because my disease has two faces, I need to be very careful. 
because the disease, at least I came to realize, and I heard this this week, I can, the, the disease can have fun in my abstinence, or at least that's how I understood it. Um, because having the structured food plan is something um, that is good for a binger, but it's something that can be a triggering for the restrictor that I am at time. Um, and what helps me to um, realize when I am the binger, when I am the restrictor is really this awareness and as well sharing with fellows. And what I came to realize as well is that the disease is never going to, to disappear. But what has changed is that I have the tools. And today, without my realizing it, I have actually used the tools, even though I was really ready to push the ethic button today. Um, so I guess it works somehow. Um, with this, I pass. I'm very grateful again. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Cardi.